that's always a fun part to me is like finding that moment where someone does drop their guard a little bit and and does something that you know that they do all the time some weird tick that they do all the time and it's like ah oh, that thing is kind of the real thing you know like either, either they're stilted or awkward or they just kind of put on this very camera ready appear, uh, smile or appearance or pose and if you but if you have time and you kind of observe and watch then you sort of hopefully find a moment where they reveal themselves a little I'm gonna change it up because usually I do an usually I do the intro, but I think you'll obviously be be able oh God, to kind of sum awful. up to sum up your kind of range because it was kind of hard to figure out. Um, you know, it's it's tough because you do have such a diverse uh, kind of portfolio of work, mm-hmm. and as I've come into contact with your stuff, it's all through food and all through restaurant work and things like that. So I will uh, on this episode of Well Fed, my guest is Evan Sung, and I will let him do the intro today. Uh, okay, I, uh, it's not my forte, but um, I guess you could say that I am definitely a photographer in the area of food and beverage and travel and culture. Um, I've been shooting for uh, f- 14, 15 years. So yeah, there's been a, a pretty wide range. So I, I identify now as a, as a food photographer, but um, I've been lucky enough to do a lot of different things. So yeah, it can be a little bit tricky to categorize. Um, uh, but yeah, I've been I've shot over actually at this point now forty plus cookbooks, and um, you know been lucky enough to work with a lot of major talents from around the world. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to travel for my work, and um, yeah, I, I think I'm uh, based in Brooklyn. I'm a Manhattan born and bred, and uh, yeah, happy to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time today to chat with me. I know you're, uh, you've been traveling around a lot for work, and uh, we finally kind of nailed down a weekend to, to sit down. Um, before we get into the work that you're doing, the work that you've created, the cookbooks, all those things, what were you doing before photography? Right before photography, I mean, I, it was sort of a winding path and not very predictable to me or I think to anyone else. Uh, I never really grew up you know, taking photos. I didn't have a camera growing up. It was not something that like, you know, it was my childhood dream or anything like that. I studied psychology at NYU, uh, got my bachelor's in that. And then I was really interested in literature and uh, ended up pursuing a PhD program in literature. I did, you know, some things on the side, travel, lived abroad for a little while, but that was always my goal was to get back into academia and uh, pursue comparative literature. And I got into a a great program uh, in California, in Irvine. Um, and it was certainly at that time kind of like a dream come true, really exciting, a great program, great instructors. Uh, yeah, it was really kind of a thrill. But it also came at a time where I, I, you know, I just realized that it wasn't really what I wanted to do for a long time, and it's a long commitment, and it just didn't feel right. So Right before I jumped into photography, that's what I was doing. I was in Irvine, California, trying to figure out what to do with my life. <laughs> As many uh, of us are. Yeah. And Irvine, California, if you know it, uh, it's kind of a funny place to be pondering big life issues because it's a very uh, kind of uh, Pleasantville sort of town. 
Oh. In the sense that everyone's happy, hippy dippy. It's very, yeah, Southern California. I mean, I was there for six months, so I can't presume to know all of it, but yeah, it was very uh, sort of picture perfect, suburban. I can't get town. with California. Like, <laughs> I just, you know, I went to LA recently. I have a friend that lives in Huntington Beach, and every time I hit that highway, it reminds me why I need to go back to New York. Yeah, the driving's hard. Uh, you know, I, I grew up going to. LA a lot because I have family, uh, cousins and uncles and aunts in, uh, around Santa Monica. And, you know, that was always a fun thing to do, you know, as a kid going there and Disneyland and all that. Disneyland. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, for a while, I just wasn't that interested in going there. And, and certainly in the last five, seven years, you know, as the dining scene has changed there and I've, I've been lucky enough to go out there for work for various things. Um, I do enjoy it. I mean, I, I think it's a pretty exciting place to go and see what's happening. And uh, I, I enjoy the vibe for a good week or 10 days. And then I'm, I'm always ready for coming back home. But I also look forward to, you know, any occasion to get out there and, and just see what's happening. I think it's, it's very different. And, you know, there's, it's just uh, you need to plan your, your strategy when you go out there. At, at what point does a does a camera start to make its way into the picture for, you know, for yourself? Is it during school? Is it after? You know, as you're trying to figure out the in my life. Of, yeah, um, yeah. I, so the story is that I was studying psych at NYU, and uh, in my senior year, I got a job at Shakespeare and Company, which used to be on Broadway, and uh, it was at Broadway in Washington Place, I think. It's a it's a bookstore. It's a bookshop. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, it was a great bookshop, and you know, like like small independent bookstores, it attracted a kind of diverse array of people: uh, music writer, uh, artists, uh, regular writers, um, just actors. You know, sort of a cross section of people just looking to have a job while they're doing their other thing. Uh, and anyway, so I met a guy there, uh, Shelton Wallsmith, who is uh, an artist from Texas, but has lived in Brooklyn for a while, uh, him and his wife. And uh, we became friends there. And uh, he was a little older than me, and I really liked his work. And And he became sort of a, well, we just ended up hanging out a lot, me and his then-girlfriend and, and I. And uh, we were going out, taking photos. Um, you know, he really showed me, I remember I, he, I was at his place and he had this old camera, an old uh, Yashica mat. So kind of like a Raleigh Flex, mm -hmm. but, you know, slightly cheaper Japanese brand, but still a, an old twin lens reflex camera. And I'd never really seen anything like it before. And then you look into the into the ground glass and the, the image is reversed and it looks very cinematic. And it was so different from what I thought of cameras to be. So I was really interested in that and he showed me how to use it. And, uh, you know, he showed me how to use a light meter and, and we started to the three of us to go out on the weekends taking photos and he really encouraged that and uh so for a while after right at the end of college there it was just a hobby that you know I had a lot of fun doing I had fun doing it with my friends and uh was learning something totally new to me so you know that's that's where it really started you know when a uh, camera first got in my hands do you start to so you know with when you're learning any kind of you know anything could be as cooking or anything. You kind of do it in a in a bubble. You know, you do it for yourself, mm -hmm. and you don't really share. But when when do you start kind of putting, uh, I guess, work in front of people and showing other people? Was that ever something that you started to do? Yeah, I mean, I would I would of course show well my my friend Shelton and, mm -hmm. and his 
girlfriend Kasha, we would go out shoot. Uh, he had a little dark room. We would print them. We would look at them together. We would talk about them. Um, and he was a great, you know, mentor and instructor, and really taught me just about how to look at photos and and art in general. So that was part of it. And then I would keep to keep shooting for myself, and you know, show friends or you know, give photos to friends and things like that. But it was really just like purely hobby. And then photo became more important to me when I was in Irvine uh, because it was really sort of a tricky kind of existential period where I really was trying to sort out some things and uh, ended up doing a lot of self-portraits of kind of funny now. I mean, it was funny then too, but it was, it was a series of self-portraits of me kind of run over by my car. <laughs> I think I was like processing this relationship of just being in Southern California and being so tethered to a car. And, and it was a symbol of something that was just so different from my life in New York. But yeah, I was doing a lot of different sorts of self-portraiture and just kind of spending all the money I had on film and development. And, uh, and it was some kind of weird therapy for me. And I think it kind of took on a different power. And so when it when push came to shove and I really had to think about what to do, I, I just thought, well, you know, I have to go back to New York. And, and for a lot of people, going to New York is something exciting. But for me, it just felt like going home. So there was a sense of not defeat, but there was a sense of like going backwards a little bit. So mm -hmm. I really had to think of like, how do I make this not going backwards? So I said, well, you know, photo's been good to me. It's been my companion through this period. And, uh, so I think I'll I'll give it a shot. And I started looking on Craigslist for any photo jobs I could find. I was in California at the time and found a, an opportunity and lined up an interview, flew back home, had the interview and was hired uh, pretty much right away and then started working at this uh, stock photo agency. You know, that was January, uh, let's say 2000. So you had to... So for this job application, I imagine at the time you had to print out all these film uh, photographs that you'd taken. What was in that portfolio? Like, what were some of the images? What got you the job in a sense? Hmm. That's like so long ago. I mean, I can't <laughs> remember what was in there, but I can I can guess that they were a lot of just like cityscapes and, and I'm sure some of my portraits and self-portraiture, lots of black and white, um, lots of medium format. You know, in, in retrospect, to be honest, I think... I think they probably needed someone and, and you know, I, I like to think that the photos that I sent were interesting enough that at least I knew how to, I wouldn't even say light because nothing was lit. It was all just natural light photography, but, but I had some sense of how to take a picture and, you know, what photography was. And, and I think, you know, I think I was in part lucky that they hired me. I got along really well with the studio manager there that I interviewed with and we became fast friends and he actually became sort of the next mentor in my career. Uh, his name was Brett Friedman and he had been working at that company for a while. He'd worked in like movie production for a while and that's where I really learned a lot about professional studio lighting, uh, casting, propping, um, all the stuff that goes into a produced stock photo shoot. So you know, that was, that was sort of the next phase. I will say it was like, it was like my graduate school, except I was getting paid mm -hmm. to learn uh, really the nuts and bolts of this field that I kind of randomly decided to jump into. I imagine um, maybe at some point it was very much a learning ground. So 
I'm sure you carried those on to the next few positions or jobs, job opportunities that you had. What was the ladder like after the stock, stock photography company? Uh, after that, so I was there, 9-11 happened. I stuck it out there for another year and a half. They were, they were, their office was in New Jersey and Summit. So I was commuting every day, which was fine, um, except it gets tiresome after a while. And I, after a few years, I sort of, my, my friend had moved on. The staff had changed a bit. The industry was changing a lot. Digital was really starting to, starting to, to take hold. And I just was ready for different opportunities. And I think I may have spent a little time uh, just assisting random people. But not long after I left that company, I moved to uh, moved to Paris. I moved to Paris and f- met up with a guy, uh, kind of happenstance, because I tried for a while. I was there for like three weeks, four weeks, really knocking on doors, trying to figure out how to find work in Paris. I think I naively thought that it would be easy as a as a New York trained photo assistant that I'd find someone who would you know need help and hire me, but because of the, the EU and papers, you know, it was, it was not that easy at all. Yeah, like a limited window of time, essentially. Yeah, and, you know, if someone needs someone who speaks English, you know, you could hire an Englishman or so. So, so I was getting ready to come back, met this guy, Giacomo Bretzel, who was amazing, is amazing photographer, uh, and he hired me on, and so we started working together. I, you know, he said he had a shoot in Florence next week. Was I available? I was honestly super available. So <laughs> I said, sure. And, uh, and, and that calendar. was my, yeah, yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was my first gig with him and, uh, and I went, well, it was fun. And then, you know, started working from there. I, I was with him for about a year and year and a half. Had a lot of great adventures all over the world. He was, he would, he would be the next sort of, important figure in my evolution because he shot portraits um food his portrait work is, is, i looked up his work and it's oh you phenomenal. did okay yeah. yeah yeah it's he's he's a, a really gregarious fun italian guy mm. uh and he had a big lust for life and shot cars uh beauty product food travel where did you guys uh, anything meet? it was a friend of my mother's who knew him and uh, and my mother said, oh, you should reach out to this guy. And at that point, I met so many people. All of them were so nice and like so open to trying to help, but no one really could help me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was like, sure. You know, I, I was kind of at the point where I was like, well, I'm coming home anyway. So what's the harm in meeting this guy? And it was really, it was another nice meeting, but I really just kind of expected it to be, okay, nice to meet you. Good luck. Take care. Did you meet him in Paris? I met him in Paris. In yeah. Okay. Was there, why Paris? Like, did that just, you know, was that something uh, that It's not particularly place? photo related. It was because um, I had studied in Paris to prepare for my comp lit program. You mm-hmm. needed to have three languages under your belt, which honestly I didn't really, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Paris was the closest I had and. I mean, sorry, French was the closest I had. So I had gone out to Paris after college to study for a summer uh, and, you know, took to learning it pretty well and then made some friends, some some French friends. And so I had a great time there. It was a great summer. And uh, and so it was always in my head that 
I really enjoyed it, that I had these friends there. Uh, and so I always thought about, not, not very seriously, but it always was in the back of my head, like, oh, it'd be fun to go back there. Mm -hmm. So after I left that stock agency, it seemed like, well, here's an, an opportunity. There's not a lot of work going on in New York because of the, the economy after 9-11. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll just give it a shot. So went out there and, uh, you know, it was not easy. I was staying like in a youth hostel outside of Paris and uh, commuting in and just kind of knocking on doors, making phone calls, tried to get like server work. That didn't even really happen. Yeah, it was just kind of trying to trying to figure out how to make it work. So Rough it was really out. pure luck to meet this guy. Um, how long did you and Giacomo work together? Like a year and a half. Okay. And it was obviously, like you said, a diverse range of photography, you know, yeah. photo work. It wasn't just like product or a portrait one day. It was, every, it was all Yeah, I know. Uh, there's a lot of travel involved. He had a lot of fun projects in Italy and Germany and Spain. Yeah, it was it was really diverse and stuff in Paris too. He shot a lot of portraits for Madame Figaro, the magazine. Um, so we were always doing that, and uh, yeah, it was. It just made me f excited to be discovering all these things. You know, like, I, I've been fortunate enough to travel a good amount in my life, so it's something that I, I enjoyed already. But there was something different about really getting behind the scenes of of different worlds and meeting some you know pretty important people just via a camera so that was mm -hmm. eye-opening and exciting and and i didn't know what it meant but it was something that i was like oh this is great you know like this is more than just living in paris this is like yeah. you know just seeing so much more of it was mainly europe i don't think we went anywhere outside of western europe but still it was very much a, a, good experience. a dream that a lot of you know, younger people growing up kind of strive for yeah. traveling around, taking photographs, especially now with social media and all the, you know the new tech around sharing images. Mm -hmm. Like that's very much what people are you know reaching for. Mm -hmm. So you know, you kind of, I guess through through the work in Giacomo, had way before that that this whole trend now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's I, I, people have been doing that for a long time, and budgets were different and mm -hmm. permitted people to hire photographers to travel, you know, to X or Y or Z. And I definitely, you know, I had to help him do estimates for shoots where we were traveling. And yeah, there was, there was pretty decent money being flown around to do those shoots. Okay. So uh, these days, yeah, I mean, that's, I'm sure we'll get to that later on, but it's a very different economic scene right now. Mm -hmm. And people who do travel for work, I think a lot of it is self-funded in the hopes of, you know, in the hopes that that material will live somewhere. But back then, at that point, yeah, that was probably the tail end because I was still like, I remember he got his first digital camera. Like things were changing, you know, for sure, mm -hmm. in, in big and small ways. After a year, you returned back to New York. After about a year and a half, came back to New York, was assisting some more, uh, a guy who worked for Vogue, Michael Lisnet. He worked for Vogue. We did a bunch of, sh I did a bunch of shoots with him. Did some shoots with an architectural photographer, Scott Cheney. Those were interesting, super different for me, but uh, just interesting to see a different kind of photography. Very methodical, uh, four by five cameras, uh, old airy hot lights and things like that. <laughs> um, but it was, it was serious, meticulous work. And I'm glad that I saw it and got to be a part of it. 
And then I kind of, and then I started, but I, all, the whole time I was looking online and trying to shoot for whatever I could shoot for, you know, um, back when Craigslist still had hmm. valuable things on it. Uh, I would just shoot for online magazines, sometimes for free, sometimes for a little money, just trying to shoot whatever I could and, and you know, get work out there. And then started shooting for the New York Sun, which was a newspaper that existed uh, for a while in that period. And I think I can't say exactly when it folded, but I know a lot of writers and photographers, it was sort of a stepping stone for people to get to the journal or to uh, the times. Um, But it was great, had a great culture page in and of itself and ended up shooting restaurants, restaurant reviews for them. For the that sun. was for the sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was also unexpected. It was I had come back from Paris thinking I was going to shoot portraits. I was really interested in portraits, and that's probably my psychology background, just being interested in people, and um, you know, like you said, sort of talking to people, learning about their experiences, and and your podcasting because you want to share all that information. I think <laughs> I was being selfish and just trying to hoard all that uh, information to myself. But but yeah, it was it was. Uh, I, I say that because I was trying to do, I was working on a series of artists in their studios and it was an amazing way to meet artists of different levels, kind of like myself, sort of figuring out different ways to make, either they were successful at being practicing artists or they were working on it part-time and doing other things, but it was just an, a good experience to to hear other people's stories of how, how do they make a go of this? You know, how do they keep their head above water and how do they sure. stay creative and, and inspired. So all of that was great fun for me and great information. And I built up this portrait portfolio, took that to the sun. And I think their regular food photographer, restaurant photographer was out sick or something. And they asked me to fill in and, and, and I did. And I realized from working with Giacomo that I kind of knew already how to do that. And they liked the work and, and I had fun doing it. And so it, kind of just became a regular thing. And then, I don't know, after a few months, I was compiling all these photos of dishes and restaurant interiors uh, and was making these like little postcards and sending them out to other places I thought I could work for, including the Times. And then I got a call not long after from the Times asking me if I could shoot a restaurant review. And uh, I was super excited. It was really like a I couldn't even believe it, really. Um, <laughs> Still very prestigious, the yeah, Times. Yeah, I mean, for I can forever. imagine then, like, as a designer, as any creative, right, you, there's always that moment of, of sharing a portfolio and putting it out and sending a lot of, you know, maybe not uh, not like a, a pre-formatted email, so to say, nowadays, but you do send it out in hopes that someone uh, comes back and says, hey, we really enjoy your work, and for the Times to, to come back, you know, just on a whim, must have been super exciting. Yeah, it was, it was wild. And I was working at a at a photo studio, managing a photo studio for a still life photographer. Um, that was also interesting, also very different from how I like to work, but good experience. But anyway, I was there working, and I got a call. And back in those days, when the Times called you, if they called anyone, uh, the number would show up as one one one. One 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 one, and so I'm at work, and I look at my phone, and I see this number, and it's like, oh, this is some sort of scam, or, but I don't know why I decided to pick it up. I just thought it was maybe an unusual number to see. I certainly didn't know that that that's what the Times, you know, showed up as, and yeah. So when when they called me, I was really 
really thrilled. I said yes immediately and, uh, and then started working with them pretty regularly, uh, for, yeah, for a while. I think like when Frank Bruni was the restaurant critic, I was doing, I think the majority of those and, and feature stories as well. And, uh, it was great. But then also with the times you sort of end up in the system and then people are calling you from the fashion section, uh, you know, style section or real estate or, local news or whatever. So I never did anything particularly hard hitting, but, but I did get to experience a lot of different kinds of photography through that. And I'm always grateful for that. And I think it's also just trained me to, to be flexible and adaptive because you sort of have to, you just never know what's coming down the pike. So, I mean, even for, you know, for photography, um, I feel like you being flexible obviously is a great thing across many different mediums, but for photography, you'll never know if one day a, a storm is going to hit and just kind of ruins the shoot. You have to be able to kind of move on the on the on the ball, mm-hmm. be on the ball at all times. So I'm sure having that background allows you to kind of excel when you're given a situation that may not be the prettiest, but you're able to still produce something that is, you know, beautiful or, or well lit or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that. There's so many different kinds of photographers as well. I mean, you take any any sub-discipline of photography, portraits or food or action, you know, sports. I think there's so many different kinds of photographers within that category, you know, and I think that uh, I always brought sort of an observer's eye to it. I think I, I liked kind of uh, disappearing a little bit into the scene and then kind of watching what was happening around me and uh like a fly on the wall mm-hmm. yeah less less about directing you know action directing what's going on but just kind of paying attention and then hopefully jumping in at the right moment to get what seemed valuable or important or mm-hmm. before we get into you know your your foray into the food uh photography you know when you're taking portraits and things like that you almost need to, there needs to be some kind of level of interaction. And, you know, how, how does that, how do you kind of facilitate that, um, that process to get someone comfortable or to get someone to kind of deactivate and disarm themselves? Because usually I'm sure, you know, very much like, you know, you know, it's not every day you have someone come into your apartment and podcast or something mm-hmm. like that. So at first you're a little, you know, you, I would still be very um, at arms, but uh same thing with, a, with when you're trying to take a photo of someone there. Immediately, what they have in their mind as being natural isn't always the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think working with those artists that I found, you know, I, I did have to kind of screen their work and, and decide was it interesting enough to me, you know, uh, their work. Uh, did it say something to me personally enough that I wanted to find out more about the artist? Um, I, you know, I think the key for me has always just been like being curious. And so I am genuinely interested in how people work, what motivates people. I guess that's sort of the psychology background, but like, but finding out what makes them tick, what their preoccupations are, what the challenges are that they have on a particular day, or I just like to ask questions and people more often than not, you know, do want to like, are happy to talk about their, their work or their process. so in that period, it was just, for sure, it was me asking questions and just being curious. And then that puts people at ease, I think, you know, knowing that you're listening to them, knowing that you're paying attention. And then some people are more natural than others in front of the camera. 
but I don't, I don't know. I always, I always found that's always a fun part to me is like finding that moment where someone does drop their guard a little bit and, and does something that you know that they do all the time, some weird tick that they do all the time. And it's like, ah, that thing is kind of the real thing. You know, like I, either they're stilted or awkward or they just kind of put on this very camera ready appear, uh, smile or appearance or pose. And if you, but if you have time and you kind of observe and watch, then you sort of hopefully find a moment where they reveal themselves a little more. Was it to swing back towards the work that you were doing at the Times, the restaurant reviews, and and a sprinkling of the style and uh, real estate shoots here and there? Um, at some point, did it just start shifting, and did you start getting more restaurant or food work? Did it, you know, was you had a pie chart? Did some of that work just slowly start to grow in terms of the food section? Well, I mean, the food reviews were great and and you know they happen weekly and so there's a lot of there's a lot of content that ends up you know if you're shooting every week that's a lot of material and and along the t- along the way the time started doing these slideshows so it used to just be they would run one photo with a review and then they started doing these slideshows where Frank Bruni would talk to the editor of the section about his review and they would create these like eight image slideshows so suddenly i was being asked to shoot more than just one dish and more than just getting one good shot of the action in the room, shooting multiple dishes and shooting different angles. And uh, so suddenly I had all this material to build out a portfolio, but also the restaurant world is pretty small. So I would meet people and just kind of, you know, befriend them, uh, just become known a little bit in Mm -hmm. in that circle. And once you're Kind of known in the circle, it it doesn't take that long for you to 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 just be recognized in that world. It, it's a really small mm-hmm. world, so small community. Yeah. Um, when you walk in, if you walk into a restaurant, will does it ever happen that the owner or the chef knows who you are? They're like, oh, Evans in the Evans in the room. Make sure everything's looking good. Make sure the plate is like beautiful. I mean, I, yeah, of course. I don't. Know, I never know how to say <laughs> how to answer that question it's without totally sounding okay. like a dick. But yeah, I mean, it's it's their job to know who's in the restaurant. It's their job to know who uh, who is important. Uh, who you know who has some place in this industry and what role they play. So yeah, I mean, in 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 a lot of restaurants that I end up in, sure, it definitely happens. And yeah. I, I ask because I think, you know, obviously I, I find your work to be amazing and hence why I'm Thank you. talking to you today. I think um, in terms of the, 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 the food industry, the restaurant industry, your work stands out. And I think that's like, I wanted to ask that question because I'm curious if it ever, you know, like when you think of like the people who do the reviews, like the food critics, you know, there's always that tense moment or like in your head or in the movies, there's always like them, they walk in and everyone's making sure it's all, you know, uh, perfect and well set, but you never hear that switch. Like uh, the, you know, the hat is on the other, or the shoes on the other foot for a creative, so to say, but now mm-hmm. it seems like that is slowly becoming more relevant of, or part of the conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a big debate right now. How important are proper restaurant reviews? Um, Obviously, you have influencers, and, and those people get a lot of attention and a lot of, you know, red carpet treatment. Uh, I think, yeah, there are, there are all sorts of people in this ecosystem. And, you know, the truth is there are, there are people who are 
really gracious about it and, and understand, you know, that this is just part of the dance of this business. There are other people who I, I'm, I know for sure, you know, have a sense of entitlement about it and, and you know, want free food or want to be recognized or, you know, expect something. And, and I just think that that's not the way it should be, you know, like it, it's, uh, for me, I try to approach it with a sense of like mutual respect. I, I just think I appreciate it if I am recognized and, and treated nicely. I also like to go and support the people and places that I have an affinity for, that I, I think are interesting. You know, there are plenty of trendy places that I have never set foot in and uh, don't have a lot of interest in. There are, there are other places that, you know, I'm, I feel lucky enough to to be welcome there. And, and, you know, it's, I've been working in this area for a while now and uh, and I'm just, you know, grateful for for the opportunities that it provides and you know you just don't take it for granted i want to i want to uh sort of break the discussion of, of creative process a little bit but um the holidays are approaching and the last week and a half has been very much a long blur of holiday parties you know excessive drinking and eating so i would say that i'm just naturally hung over this week <laughs> and i'm curious as to you know if you could recommend I don't want to assume you're a heavy drinker like myself or anything like that, but you know, on a hangover day or a day that you're just feeling really kind of low on energy, what what is your guidance to you know ultimate food experience uh, to go yeah. through? Um, probably either either dim sum, like dim sum, or some sort of Asian noodle mm-hmm. thing, or a bacon, egg, and cheese sandwich. <laughs> yeah. I did have one of those today. Yeah, I changed it up though. I go with like for a while. I was doing the sweet and savory so the bacon egg and cheese on like a cinnamon raisin bagel interesting and then i this morning i've recently started switching back over to like an everything bagel mm. but um i'm also finding that the cheese is like a very uh, cheese the the quality of cheese matters yeah because this morning i had like a, a melty american cheese that uh, was melty when it was in the the foil and then as soon as you took it out and i like i got some on my beard it just like quacked immediately. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to bacon, egg, and cheese, I guess I'm pretty basic. I like on a Kaiser roll and mm-hmm. uh, American cheese. And I did just go to Madcap over here on Court Street. I had heard about their bacon, egg, and cheese wrap. It was like in a flatbread. It was really, really good. I wasn't even hungover. I just <laughs> wanted to have bacon and egg on a flatbread and it was excellent indulge a little bit i've never tried that yeah i'll have to, have to give it a maybe a pass on the way home um you know i'm curious are there any kind of uh for for 2018 have you noticed any sort of trends in food or has there been something that's been replicated in a, in a number of restaurants across the city maybe even you know internationally in food itself yeah in food restaurants uh i don't know if i can say that it's specifically 2018, but I think one of the things that I find a little bit challenging in New York is is that there's a, well, I mean, it's understandable. There's a, a real desire for like comfort food and, and things that are just a little familiar or kind of familiar, but maybe tweaked. Mm-hmm. But I remember, you know, like when I was really starting out, I think that there was 
a real sense of excitement in like fine dining. There were interesting things going on uh, in a way that I I don't know that there's as much going on right now. Um, there's always going to be pockets of it, but it does seem like New York uh, it makes it difficult to really experiment. So I think that you know I can't speak. For, I haven't traveled enough around the world currently to 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 say for certain, but it does seem like there are a lot of places where there are more exciting things happening. Even within the U.S., I think a lot of young, talented chefs who have put in their time here and look back home and see that there's no one doing, you know, a good version of this or that, and they go home and and they crush it because they have the skill and the abilities minus the financial hardship of just doing business in, in New York. So... The trend, I think, is just there's a kind of desire for comfort, and at times that can feel like sameness. Um, so it's almost like uh, it sounds. You know, I've battled with this idea because you kind of mentioned that you know you have these chefs who are working and and doing their time here, doing their due diligence, um, and then kind of leaving to go back home, wherever that may be, you know, Midwest, South. Um, And it just kind of, this plays back to this, I, this thing I've been battling with is that like, I feel like as a designer, as a creative, I'm almost so tied to the city. Like I'm so tied to New York because the market here is so diverse and this is where all the jobs are in a sense. Like I, you know, realistically, I can't go to, uh, you know, the jobs just dry up as soon as you go three states above or below, mm-hmm. you know. And, um, you know, I'm curious, do you kind of have this, you know, do you have an, a, a thought about, you know, do you feel like you will be in New York, you know, till the unforeseeable future? Or do you ever kind of have an aspiration to potentially move away? Um, I mean, I, having been born here and, and grown up here and my family's all here, my brother's in L.A., but uh, everyone else is here. And the work is here, you know, publishing, although some of that's moving out, but publishing, restaurants are always changing. You know, there's always a desire for newness in New York. So there's always going to be new restaurants opening and uh, and it draws big names and big talent. So I, I feel no particular desire to leave New York. You know, that said, I I would love to find a way to split time between mm-hmm. here and you know, Paris would be interesting. Uh, I, I like traveling around the States, but I, I don't know that I necessarily need to live anywhere else in the States. But, um, but yeah, finding a way to to travel more or split time between here and another place would be interesting. I'm not sure. I have thought about that a little bit recently, but I haven't really articulated it into any I think that sounds, that sounds like a something I should start to consider more is splitting because I'm sure you have hit a point at some, you know, when you're earlier in your career where the jobs are here so that you need to just continue to grind it out and continue to get the work as, as they come. And cause you never know when one week will, you'll be super filled up and then the next week it'll be drier. But, um, something I wanted to dig into a little bit selfishly. Um, so you were working with the sun, you were doing these restaurant reviews. Was there a moment where you kind of had, built up this uh, kind of, I don't want to say clout, but you built that community in the restaurant industry in the area, in the, in the uh, neighborhoods. At what point was it, did you just take a leap and 
necessarily go freelance or go independent? You know, was that was that ever a thing? I mean, I was always uh, freelance. I, I never really signed up anywhere. The Sun was freelance. The Times was freelance. Uh, you know, when I was starting out, I was working that studio managing job. That was, you know, a full-time gig, nine to five. I was doing some temping, I think, uh, probably after I left that studio gig, because there's an interesting period where you are doing these freelance assignments, but they're not constant. So you can have days where it's just sort of open. And I think I was filling that in with some temping here and there, which was, which helped paid well. And, uh, uh, lucky enough to work with people who granted me the flexibility to take off if I needed to. So yeah, freelance was always a thing that that I wanted to do, and I, I don't think I really entertained many full time gigs. Was it ever uh, was it ever scary to to I think going through school growing up, you know, my parents and and I'm sure a lot of kids grew up thinking that like you get out of school, you get a full time job. And then, you know, that's, you stay in that job forever. And I, it took me a while to realize that wasn't the case for necessarily a creative field. Mm-hmm. You know, did you ever hit that, you know, with like a realization of I will be fending for myself, you know, for the, for the time being? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always scary. Uh, it's a little less scary now, but I mean, there's always that feeling as a freelancer, I think, you know, actors probably feel this way too. It's like between gigs, you just don't know when the next gig is coming. And so all along the way, there's always a, you know, maybe I have my own anxieties. And so I definitely, you know, would freak out if I had a few days open, if I didn't have the next thing lined up. And I know my close friends would say, well, you're still like that. And I probably (laughs) still am, you know, like it's, uh, it's that moment where you start to think like, ah, everything is set. Something will definitely come around the corner, I think, is the moment where you should kind of smack yourself. <laughs> um, I don't freak out about it as much, but, you know, I don't take anything for granted. So we'll see. We'll see what comes up next. Is there is there a way that you deal with the anxiety of those, you know, dealing with those three days that are potentially open? You know, do you ever uh, take the time for yourself and, and what are you filling those hours with? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, now I've gotten better at just like, saying, okay, I'm going to take a few days just to chill out and, and, you know, be at home, relaxing, get things in order. There's always like small things to catch up on for sure. But I've gotten better at just saying, okay, well, you know, there's not much I can do about today. So I'll just kind of enjoy it and I'll go see a movie or go to the museum or go out for lunch or see friends or, um, you know, there's always, there's always uh, a bit of, struggle just finding the time to for other activities but then also you know there's always things that you can be doing to tend your own business and whether it's reaching out to old contacts or updating the website which i haven't done in a long time now uh always updating the website (laughs) um there's always like small things so it's i try to make the most of those days and sometimes you know you do a lot sometimes you do not that much but I guess it's been a little while since I really, like, ah, what's going on, you know? As you mentioned earlier, you're, you're, you've been published in 40, over 40 cookbooks. It, it kind of seems that you're very much being sought after to do the work uh, for these books. I know you just, the book that was just published, Noma, The Guide to Fermentation, which mm-hmm. I'm 
hoping that Santa puts it, you know, brings it to <laughs> this Christmas maybe. But uh, was, was there a shift that you had to do or is it just like uh, to kind of gear your work to, to get more of those clients in a, in a sense, or was it just, you know, naturally from the work that you were doing from the sun, uh, from the sun and the times? Uh, I mean, I think it was, you know, it, it grew out of that and then working for like PR companies. And, and so through them working directly for restaurants, making friends with people in the industry who would hire me to do this or that, you know, shoot this or that for them. I mean, the, I owe my very first cookbook to a friend of a friend of a friend who just took a chance on me, had this uh, cookbook that was tied into a, a TV show that she was producing. And, um, you know, it was, it was my first experience and I, I think it was a little rough, but, uh, but it was a good experience. So, you know, that, that was not something I saw coming. It was just, uh, I had worked with this woman a little bit, uh, Lauren Dean. On, on various things. And then this program came up and she asked me if I would be interested in doing this book. And I said, sure. And uh, that was one thing that sort of got me, you know, in, in into the, a little bit into the publishing world on, on the radar there. And then the, probably the biggest thing I always think was um, I became friends with a, a very talented chef, Paul Liebrandt. And, um, we were doing a lot of work just kind of as, as friends, just sort of as a mutual creative exchange, doing photos of some of his dishes, creations at his restaurant called Corton in Manhattan in mm -hmm. Tribeca. And that eventually turned into a book that he co-wrote with my good friend, Andrew Friedman. And because Paul had such a reputation as a, as a very talented chef, um, I think that cookbook definitely sort of opened up doors for me in the publishing industry, but also in the restaurant industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, great projects flowed from there and got to work with Michael White uh, and Andrew Friedman again, traveling to Italy for his book and uh, Alex Stupak on his taco book. You know, all of these people that I really, whose cooking I really admired and uh, their reputations. And I was doing some work for a magazine called Art Culinaire. And that was really cool because that was, Sort of like before the internet, that was how a lot of young chefs learned about what was going on around the world and with learning recipes from other big chefs uh, around the country and around the world. And so I got to meet a lot of great chefs working with them and I, I still work with them to this day. So they're all, all, all different sorts of angles, you know, that, that I was involved in the industry photographically. And I think it's just a matter of, of, being present, you know? So like the more people saw my name, the more people saw me around, I think a trust was built and then whatever re reputation I have was established. And so it, it, it grew from there. So I didn't, I didn't necessarily make any huge calculated shifts in how I did my business. I just tried to say yes to as much as possible and, um, take it seriously as possible and, and, and just, uh, enjoy the process of whatever the project was. Mm. I don't think that there was any huge change in what I was doing. I want to, before we start wrapping up, I want some recommendations from me. I need to <laughs> build my cookbook collection. Um, I need to also get to a few restaurants in the new year that I would love your suggestions on. So I have two to three cookbooks that you would recommend to anyone, say a good beginner one, a little bit more complex, and then one that is you know maybe beautifully designed. Well, there's the Noma book. I mean, that was a huge 
privilege to work on and uh, just to see how they operate. And, and uh, you know, the book, as far as I've gotten into it, is, is very accessibly presented and uh, there's just like so much knowledge stored away there and uh, innovation. So I think for sure that's a, a new book that's just out and it's great. Uh, another one, not necessarily just because I did it, but I do love uh, David Tannis's last book, Market Cooking. Um, I was lucky enough to work with David through the Times for his column, and then he asked me to shoot his last book. And and every time I've tasted his food, it, it seems so simple, but magically somehow it's just like the most perfect, flavorful version of that thing. And so I just think that's a really handy book to have. Mm -hmm. um, his recipes are just seem flawless and, and delicious. The other book that I'm really obsessed with these days is Anissa Halu's uh, Feast, which is Foods of the Islamic World. Mm. And she did a great job of compiling recipes from everywhere in the world that has you know Muslim population. So it's not just foods in the Middle East, it's um, foods from anywhere that uh, you can find a Muslim population. And I don't know that cuisine that well, but I really love her. I think she's an amazing woman and writer, and uh, and I was so excited about this book, and and I've cooked from it, and uh, I think it's beautifully shot and designed. Um, I think they did it in London, and uh, it's a book that I've been into lately. Yeah. And then um, restaurant suggestions. What, what can I pull out of you, please? Yeah. I need some new ones for 2019. I mean, anyone who follows me knows that I spent a lot of time at Frenchette uh, in Tribeca, and they've gotten great accolades uh, on the end of the year lists this year, and uh, it's well-deserved. It's really fun. I love the wine list there from Jorge Riera. Uh, the food is great. It's like super comfortable, and, and the vibe is just energetic and feels modern and timeless, and and it's delicious, you know, and it's just kind of ever evolving. And uh, so it's just a really fun place to to be and to eat right now. Where else? I like I like Coat Korean Steakhouse. Um, it's on 22nd Street, I believe. It's just like a really well done, fun, elegant Korean steakhouse. Uh, also a great wine list and, and it's just really delicious and uh, kind of a sexy vibe in there. and. Yeah, the food is just really, really solid. They're doing their own aging of meats there, and uh, the menu is pretty wide-ranging and kind of riffs on traditional Korean classics and then also sort of steakhouse classics. But yeah, it's a, a great place. I just celebrated my birthday there. My, some friends took me out for dinner there, and it was great. What else? Where else have I gone lately? Do you have any ramen uh, suggestions? Because I am a, <laughs> oh, such a ramen fan. I love ramen. Um, you know, I love ramen too, I, I, but I don't I don't go for it as often as I mean. I actually found that there's a good one here in in Carroll Gardens, pretty tasty, like a really robust broth. But you know, I really love udon, mm -hmm. and so I like to go to Raku in in Manhattan. I work for udon. right over there. Oh yeah, and that great. place is like so really good. good. I've never really had udon like that oh, before. Oh yeah, yeah. And I walked in thinking that it was just like a normal noodle place, and was completely just like taken off guard yeah no it's I, I love the vibe there and and yeah those those toothsome noodles and uh, the inside is beautiful too all yeah. the like the the tables the chairs are like gorgeous wood yeah and, like amazing yeah you feel like you've stepped into some quiet japanese zen 
spot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, ramen. I mean, I uh, I'll take I'll take I'll take a noodle spot. Okay. <laughs> I'm right. totally totally satisfied with that. Um, it's weeks away now. The new year. Uh, which is scary because yeah. I have so much stuff to do still. It's gone um, so fast. Is there anything that you're looking to, you know, really make a dent in, you know, starting the new year? Any kind of resolution, so to say, or like initiatives that you're taking part of that you're really focusing on? Uh, I never have a good answer for the resolution question. I mean, there's always the usual, but uh, I do need to get back to the gym more. <laughs> um, Everyone's resolution. Yeah. You know, I think it is... It's just like this constant progression. It's a constant sort of uh, honing, I guess, whittling away, just sort of working on doing the things that we all have to do. I mean, because, I don't know, photography is such a... Taking a picture is such a small part of my job, and I think there's all the other stuff that you have to do to make your business run better, more smoothly. And uh, so it just seems like there's always small things to keep working on just to make the whole enterprise, you know, uh, a better operation. So I do always want to keep honing my craft, you know, the photography itself, but I do think that there are just a lot of look for more inspiration, you know, maybe, maybe go to museums more and, and, and just keep absorbing information and inspiration. There's so much of it. It's, Sometimes it gets overwhelming that I just need to like look away from Instagram and all that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, it's, I don't think there's any, again, no massive thing that I am looking to change. I think it's all these small incremental things that, you know, do this a little bit better, do a little more of this, a little less of that. Mm. Well, Evan, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And, Thanks, John. Uh, where can, um, where can people find you if they haven't already? My website is evansung.com and my Instagram is Evansung NYC at Evansung NYC. I'm on Twitter, also at Evansung NYC, but I don't really use it that much. And uh, I've yeah. waned off of Twitter completely. Yeah. <laughs> and I think I'm pretty close to shutting down Facebook. So there, I, I feel like that is the consensus a yeah. lot of. People. Yeah. But uh, thank you so much, Evan. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening to this episode of Well Fed. This podcast is produced by me, John Sarantino, out in Jersey City, New Jersey, and made possible by all the amazing people that agree to be my guest on this thing. Music and editing is done by my friend Kevin Bendis out in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. If you have any suggestions for guests that you'd like to hear from, you can go ahead and DM me on Instagram at wellfedpodcast. Feel free to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to hear more stories from creative leaders, entrepreneurs, and talented individuals just like yourself. Or you can go to the website wellfedpodcast.com for more episodes. Again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye.